0: Humus, a Daredevil fic. Written by Saturn Child. Read by Dr. Fumbles McStupid. Rating, Mature. Archive Warning, Graphic Depiction of Violence. Relationship, Frank Castle and Matt Murdock. Frank Castle and Curtis Hoyle. Frank Castle slash Matt Murdock. Additional Tags, Frat Week, Fall, Freeform, Amnesia, Memory loss, head injury, injury recovery, hurt Matt Murdock, unreliable narrator, past child abuse, Wump, Wumptober 2021, canon typical violence, mild gore, post traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, panic attacks, disassociation, pre relationship, pre slash, developing relationship, heavy angst, seizures, Post-Concussion Syndrome, Flashbacks, Daredevil Season 3, Alternate Universe Canon Divergence, Mood Swings, and Hurt Comfort. Summary What's your name? Red. No. The man, Frank, shakes his head, his heart beating a symphony of unease. That's not it. Reader's Notes This whole series has a lot of trigger warnings attached to it the author has trigger warnings at the end of each of the stories for individual things in each of the series. I will have the trigger warnings that are at the end of this story and one that is very, very, very spoilery for the end of the whole series at the end of this. Warnings for this story and the series in general can be found in this file at 1 minute and 33 seconds. Humus. A brown or black, complex variable material resulting from the partial decomposition of plant or animal matter and forming the organic portion of soil. Trees are born and die. Bones turn to humus. Glacier to meadowland. Red. I'm living in your disgrace. Deep red hatch cells. A doll with hand scuttles across the face. Of the sea for you. Come and get these memories. He wakes up and he's nothing but the pounding ache, hammering a hole through his brain and out his skull. Nausea plays with his stomach and flips. Bitter acid splashes at the back of his tongue, scorching his taste buds in white-hot sting. He swallows convulsively. He's numb from his feet to his waist, and it recedes like the tide. Feeling returns like glass shards stabbing his thighs, knees, calves, feet. Abdomen flutters with the need to be sick. Heat replaces cold and cycles back to heat all over his sweaty skin. Glass shards turned into pins and needles. He finds that moving is possible. Hands scramble to get a purchase onto something real. Scratchy cotton scrapes over his palms as they shake. Muscles pulse as if trying to melt right out of his skin. His fingers feel anesthetized. Skin tingles all over, merges at the right side of his face. Tingling. Getting up makes blood rush to all the places that hurt. His perception flickers and darkens in a world that's already painted in blacks and splashes of red. Maybe his knees hit the floor. He's not sure. He's up again, holding himself tightly to the wooden headrest of a bed before the pain converges to one place his head. It sharpens into a ringing over his right ear, splitting him open, brain turning into static mush. He's being taken apart from the inside out. There are words trying to tumble their way out of his mouth, but he can't remember how to move his lips, curl his tongue, knows that M feels like pressing his lips, knows that L gets his tongue to dance in the cage of his teeth. But nothing moves. Nothing works. Nausea swirls around once more. Doubles his body weight. He's oddly aware of his own shaking, then. How his hands tremble and tremble as if convulsing. Moving gets the blood to pool in his legs, and the throbbing muscle flares like fireworks under the skin. He takes a step. Falters. Nothing works as it's supposed to, and he pushes. When his knees fail, he pushes himself up, his head feeling like an overfilled balloon, brain liquid and heavy. He smells soap, and he follows it. Follows the only thing that's not hot, cold pain and the clash of lightheadedness and heavy, pounding ache that tears from his spine, to his neck, to his head, and behind his eyes. The world flickers as if it's on fire. And then he's falling, knees collapsing like a house of cards. He's unable to keep going. Still, he crawls. Shoulders shake in a dance of giving up and giving more. His elbows bruise with the number of times it falls to the ground. He can't remember half the crawl when he finally reaches the smell of soap, a bathroom. He has to stand up, so he does. His body begs him to stop, flares in his own perception like lightning. His muscles quiver and crumple. Pain screams a high-pitched agony song on all of his limbs. Even as he manages to stand up, he's still falling, getting pulled into the ground. He doesn't know, but it's not the first time he awakens in the unfamiliar place. Cold porcelain meets him in a shock of cold, and he's vomiting before he can process the feeling of knees hitting the tiles once more. Barely registers the vile taste coating his tongue, for it feels thick and tingling with palpable static as if anesthesia. His head throbs, brain pulses against the cage of his skull, drills from the center to find surface. He's a hollow tunnel collapsing inward. He vaguely registers he stopped vomiting when vertigo thickens the weight of his head, digs through his brain on how to make his limbs move, how to get his muscles to work. So he stays slumped on the ground, a pile of failed meat. Feverish eyes scream a bright sting when he blinks. Maybe he's shaking from it, from the pain. Maybe it's the cold from the tiles under his naked knees. He tries to come up with an answer to questions he doesn't know how to formulate, to where he is, why does everything hurt, why can't he see? Why is he alone? But nothing comes. Only the ringing in his right ear and the impermeable fog in his head, cut through only by the needle-sharp pain. Where? His breath hitches, even the slight movement of his throat feels exhaustive. He forgets mechanics and only focuses on pressing his hands to the floor, finding something solid under his feet. Tries to get up, tries to get ready. Head screams, THREAT! even when all he can perceive is soap, his own sweat, copper, and the ringing in his ear. Needs to locate the threats, find escape routes, head pulses, throbs. Where? The unfamiliarity of the place feels slightly less daunting when he manages to stand up. He doesn't recognize the cold feeling under his feet, doesn't recognize the smell of soap or the coppery aroma that gets more noticeable every second that he balances precariously on his legs. He can't see, but he knew where the bathroom was, followed the scent of soap and bleach. There's something he has to do. The thought comes unbidden, penetrates through the fog like a knife cutting through cloth. And then it's all he can think of. There's somewhere he has to be. Someone. Someone was waiting. Someone needed him. Needed. Who? The thought disappears like smoke with the next pulse of pain against his bone. Overworked muscles shake and falter as he grips onto the sink, swaying side to side, again and again. A swirl of nausea his body mimics from his stomach. And then it's back. Someone, someone, someone! Fingers curl around the faucet. He can't open it. Right hand refuses to cooperate. His head hurts, and the ringing won't leave. He tips it slightly to the right side, only for it to scream bright white red pain, and his knees try buckling once more. Someone waiting. Someone needed him. He's there, holding himself to the sink, convinced he'll fall to the ground again. And this time, he won't get back up. The world is a black hole, but for the fire thickening around him. A botched perception of a sink, a toilet, a shower. But it's dull and thick, like spilling ink. He'll fall and sink into nothing underneath. Melt into insubstantial liquid. He hurt his head. He hurt something else, too. His head is hurt. How, when, why? Doesn't know. Why is his head hurt? He finds the stitches like a rupture in the embers painting the perception of his own body. Follows the sutures with his fingertips. Feels the swelling, threatening to pull the threads apart. Almost faints from the pain when he tries pressing lightly into it. His right ear rings. Someone. And keeps ringing. It won't stop. Someone needed him. Who? Get to work. The erratic thinking is cut through by rhythmic thumping approaching. And then the world rushes in. A heart, breathing, creaking wooden floor. Birds, a deer far away, rustling leaves. Something is missing and he doesn't know what. Someone needed... Open the faucet. He can't open the faucet. Thoughts turn to mush and disappear into nothing. He has one job. He has to open the faucet, but he can't. Fingers fumble, but can't hold a grip. A solid wall of thumping heartbeat, inflating lungs and straining muscles carrying the smell of rain, smoke, and antiseptic, clots the doorway. The only escape route. A large hand suddenly intrudes in his space, takes the handle and twists it for him. He stumbles away from the oppressive, undefined form. Too much battles with his perception— The worms crawling and squirming under the house, the creaking wood, the loud thunder-like heartbeat, the choir of birds and deer and coyotes, and a large, shapeless body of leaves and trees and roots. It takes the form of a man as he concentrates, limbs sluggish where he tries to protect himself. Maybe he falls. Maybe he's still up. He's upright. He's upside down. His head hurts. The man, for now he's sure it's a man, closes the faucet then tries to focus on some kind of noise that may or may not be coming out of his mouth, but is deafened by the too-fast sound of his own pulse, loud ringing and the rhythmic war-drum behind, framing the bathroom with its sound waves. He whimpers, tries to press a hand to his right ear, only to yelp at the pain, the sound echoing and stabbing his eardrums viciously. What's happening? What the hell is happening? Why does everything hurt? What happened to him? Too late. The fog whispers back. Too late. Where am I? He doesn't recognize the voice that leaves his own throat, uncertain in its candor, weak. A simple thought of, what would Stick think, passes through his head before disappearing into the fog, lacerated and torn apart by the sharp ringing. Like everything else, insubstantial. He can't reach it, but it's there, trapped in the haze. If he could just reach it... God, his head is killing him. Red. The gruff voice saturates the room and paints it bright. Can't be walking yet. Go back to bed. The sound helps him make a picture of himself. The embers lick at the heat gathered tightly in a straight line across his lower abdomen, and a circular wound in his right leg. Hot white pain brings the nausea back, the moment he attempts touching the sutures in his belly, and he's falling again. The man's arms are curling around him firmly before his knees manage to hit the ground, a solid weight trapping him, and he fights the nausea, if only to push the man away with a disgruntled shout. His tongue is thick and dry in his mouth when he makes a second attempt at speech, limbs heavy, unable to come up to protect himself from the stranger. No! His own voice hits the tiles and echoes loudly against his eardrums. Where am I? Who who are you? The man's heartbeat slows right down. The image of him flickers, and he tries to grab onto it so he won't catch him off guard, should he attempt to attack. The man's breath rumbles like the growl of a bear in his chest, and he stumbles another step back at the disappointed, choppy rhythm of the man's pulse. You're in a shack, he relays carefully, tone neutral and giving him nothing to analyze. Outside the city. It's me, Red. No. Why? Who- Who are you? He's barely there when he asks again, mulled over the name again in his head. He's called him that twice. Tries to savor it on his tongue, as if it'll get it to make any sense. But it doesn't. He doesn't know. Something's wrong. Missing. He tries to reach for anything that makes sense. Anything at all. The fog sits there, unreachable, unperturbed. He doesn't know. He doesn't know! Come on, Red. You need to sleep the meds off for a while longer. A hand approaches him, cutting through the haze. Don't! Red jumps away a few steps from the solid wall of a man, hands reaching for him again once his knees try buckling for the second time. Why do you have me? Let me... let me go! The tinnitus in his right ear rises to that of a beehive, and he whimpers, head falling forward only for it to pulse dangerously, throbbing in so much pain that he barely registers it. It's Frank, Red. It still doesn't make any sense. Nothing does. Why do you keep... God. The skin at the side of his head seems to swell. Tries to pull at the stitches when it's only the pain. Bloating larger than life and playing with nausea settling deep in his bones. Adrenaline pulses hot, burning through it. Keeping him on his feet. Why do you keep calling me that? The man, Frank's, answer is deliberate when it comes. Deceivingly patient. What else would I call you? The air leaves him in a sharp exhale, sutures pulling at the side of his head, right over his ear. Can hear it like bending wires, metal against bone. He uses it to center himself, tries to work through the haze with trembling fingers and weak knees. Finds nothing. I don't. Too late, the fog repeats. You're too late! His eyes sting. But he refuses to acknowledge the heavy heat when it fills his eyelids with salt. Burns at them. His head pounds as if protesting against it, too. Red is... fine. He chokes out, his whole frame shivering as if his skeleton was attempting to jump out of his skin. The man. He forgot his name again. What was it? Grant? Dent? No. Steps closer again. Palms turned up to show he's not a threat. He's the only real thing he can track, the only thing that makes sense in the midst of all the input, untouched by the fog, even when he's surrounded by it. Red can make out arms, fingers, a torso, a heartbeat, organs, bones. Can't make sense of his face, not yet. It gets lost among all the flames. Trying to work through the sense only proves him in worse shape. The sound of the man's stomach, digesting coffee and oatmeal, almost deafens him. Hey! His voice booms around the room, and Red's knees weaken. The man is there to touch him lightly, calluses meeting elbows. Hey, I'll just take you back to bed. Come on. The words make sense until the point that they don't. His brain grabs at what he can the quality of the man's Fred? Frank? voice, deep, stoic, and unperturbed. The warmth of his palms, every single bridge of a scar and a callus. His limbs are heavy by the time they stop moving, knees touching something cushy but coarse. Cotton doesn't want to come anywhere near it, but he can't fight the pull of every single muscle in his body. I have to get back, he slurs. You're in no shape to do shit, Red. But he has to get back before curfew. Sister Augustine uses the ruler on the disobedient ones, and Matt doesn't want... He needs to get back before curfew. The man is there hovering just at the edge of the fog, fingers digging into it and keeping it away from him, molding his body just right so it doesn't escape it completely. He feels larger than the world, surrounding him from all sides. Mountains surrounding a forest, forests surrounding a cabin. It's okay, kid. He lets the tide take him, large palms pressing him down to sandpaper, the church bells ringing in his ear. His head is splitting open. Red cries out as soon as he wakes up, his brain pulsing against the sutures at the side of his head, throbbing. The pain radiates like lightning from its roots, an intricate web-patterned mesh of agony right over his right ear, extending to his temple, all over the right side of his head and the back of his eyes. The skin of his right arm feels numb and prickling. His ribs burn and splinter every time his chest rises with a breath. His lips feel dry and cracking when his parched tongue traces the edges, a foul taste lingering on the inside of his cheeks, over his teeth. His saliva feels thick with dehydration. Open. The gruff voice startles him into action. A rib shifts and another creaks, and Red feels another cry dig its nails inside his throat. A large sunken ship groans in his thorax, and his chest stutters up and down with the new ache. He tries to feel for the coarse fabric irritating his skin, Tries to fight, to get the offending hands away, but it's useless. There are birds chirping outside, loud enough that it feels like their beaks, and too fast, too loud heartbeats are pressed right against his eardrums. The large, indistinguishable body of roots, dirt, and trees extends for as far as his senses can go. But the birds, they're everywhere, occupying his insides like their own little cages. It's just water. Open up. Water. Water sounds good. Hands falter, and fighting becomes pulling. Opening his mouth takes a surprising amount of strength. A rough but surprisingly careful hand tilts his chin back, supporting his head and helping cool liquid slide down his throat and quench the desert-like aridity. Stray drops run down his lips and neck, a stark difference with his slightly overheated skin. Tries to reach up his right hand to steady the man's wrist, only to find it uncooperative. Lifting his left one instead. Red keeps on pushing until the right one eventually joins its twin, grip weak around a thick, scarred forearm. He holds it tight. The man's not getting his arm back until Matt is finished. Slow down, Red. You'll choke. He responds to the command automatically, guzzling down gulps of fresh water in a slower rhythm until he finishes what's left in the bottle. All strength leaves his muscles when he finally lets go. The man's hands stop him from falling down abruptly against the mattress. This man, the man from before, before, how long ago, hours, days, sometime before, sometime. Red doesn't linger on it. Cotton sheets catch on the bruises on his skin, and he hisses. Hey, stop fucking moving around. The man's voice is pleasantly rough, and Red stops, tilting his head to hear it more closely. How it caresses the shell of his ear with a deep, gruff timbre. He's locked in a more gentle, subtle kind of haze then. The void doesn't seem as terrifying as it feels inviting. You had your skull open three days ago. Take it easy, Red. He giggles. It was funny. Skulls weren't supposed to be open, and people weren't supposed to be named after colors. Red doesn't know what colors look like. It's funny. I'll call you Black, then. It feels funnier still, because he isn't sure he knows what Black looks like either. To know what it looks like, but everything's burning. The tingling feeling from before travels all the way up from his legs to his shoulders, and the world goes out of focus. He's oddly aware of his body moving before he goes out again. Moving and moving, and he couldn't stop. Muscles tightening and loosening and tightening again, and then he was melting into the cotton sheets, skin feeling oddly detached of his flesh, hanging on him. Kurt. Back. Cease again. Just come back here. He feels two powerful arms holding him sideways, a palm cradling his head. His head is overstuffed with cotton balls until they too dissolve, and red strained. He isn't sure when he manages to move. When reaching out feels like something possible, but it happens before he's ready for it. He carefully explores the man's face, the heavy stubble around his jaw and lips, the tight coiling heat of a bruise under one eye. He smiles. He's home? Dad? Shit. The man, he didn't sound like Dad, holds his breath before letting it get punched out of his chest, like he's in a ring with himself. Or maybe with Red. No, kid, just hang in there. Just hang in there. The man doesn't make much sense. Red feels around for him, for proof of Dad. Feels the thick neck and strong shoulders. The pain coils tightly around the grinding above his right ear his right arm feels too heavy to keep moving too heavy to do anything he groans hands coming to protect his head from the hellfire blazing within hold it together so it doesn't get ripped apart from the inside out hands appear out of thin air and red can't track them fast enough hear the whistling of nails through air when someone forces something down his throat red fights he has to find his dad he needs to find him or it'll be too late the hands press him down against sandpaper sheets feels it scrape at his skin, take a piece of him with it. Red fights it with everything he has in him. What did you do to him? Where's... where's... Limbs loose even when he tries to tense them, tries to fight. The need to sleep comes so suddenly his brain barely catches up to it, fingers still twitching, attempting to grab at something. The world is black, 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 and Dad's face disappears with the sky when he hears the bullet. He lays down beside his dad's body in the alleyway. Blood dries on the concrete. Eat. His eyes open like the fluttering of wings on the bird's right outside the window, picking at its own feathers with its beak. Everything smells of wood, grass, gunpowder, and soil. It impregnates every inch of his skin as his eyelashes disturb the air around him. Moves dust particles in a dance of fairy lights he's not privy to. He's not sure how long it's been since he last woke up. It could be hours. It could be weeks. The fog is easier to navigate through this time. It's thick and omnipresent in every pulse of blood rushing through his body. But Red finds a way around it. Can make the picture of his own body in his mind. How it inhabits the space. How it's positioned in relation to the wooden walls. He can trace his pains back to their sources although the fatigue stops him short of it. Every muscle in his body screams of exhaustion. The man, Frank, he recalls, is there once more. The fog battles the fire as Red unravels the enigma of the heartbeat poised right beside him, listens to the rush of blood and oxygen to track the edges and contours of the man's name. Frank's big, a shifting solid wall of trained muscles and a too-steady pulse. There's a certain unwavering confidence in the way his chest expands with every inhale. A man unafraid of anything. Smell tells him more. Gunpowder, gun oil, coffee, nicotine, blood. A lot of antiseptic. Enough that it tickles his nose. He's soon interrupted when a bowl of oatmeal is shoved in his face. Struggling to curl his right hand around it as easily as he does with his left one. He winces once more when a head movement makes agony strike like lightning, rooting from the cloudy epicenter of the wound by his right ear and spreading over the curve of his skull and side of his neck. Here. The man turns to his left, feeling for something on a small, fold-up table that smelled strongly of rust. A rough hand reaches for his, dropping two pills inside the shell of his palm. It's paracetamol. Kurt said I can't give you NSAIDs. Red just nods sluggishly, Realizing his mistake when the pain flares, whatever Frank says, he has other things to worry about. Why am I not in a hospital? He wants to ask, but doesn't. Not yet. Why do you smell of guns? He asks instead. Red's voice is only a thin thread of what it had been moments earlier. The fatigue is catching up to him quickly. Too quickly. The man only snorts, and Red tilts his head in slight confusion. For some reason he can't fathom, that gives Frank a stop. Heartbeat falters before speeding up imperceptibly. What's my name, Red? His voice catches on gravel and tar as he speaks, thick and filling the whole room with a sense of foreboding. Red can't help but mirror. Frank? Frank what? Red frowns, works through the exhaustion to keep upright. Oatmeal balanced precariously in his hands. I don't know. You tell me. Shit. The man shakes his head, pulse slightly faster still. What's your dad's name? Red's eyebrows furrow closer together, analyzing a catch. Some kind of implicit cue that he isn't getting. Sees dad's face in his head, bruised and smiling at him. Why do you want to know? Just answer the damn question. He breathes a bit deeper. Jack, Red offers calmly, tries to remember his surname, but can't for the life of him form a single letter in his head that feels right. Just Jack, Battle and Jack. Your mom's? know never met her. Something clicks, right at the back of his head. A noise. Doesn't know what it is. Doesn't know where it comes from. Another click. He shakes his head. Frank is quiet. A void where Red's perception usually would reach him. Read his heartbeat. The pulling of his muscles. The steadiness of his breathing. He leans with his elbows to his knees, shifting dark smoke against the flames in the fire. What's yours? The noise clinks again. His stomach goes cold. I shift uselessly around as if to look for those embers. That bright fire. What's your name? Red. No. The man, Frank, shakes his head. His heart beating a symphony of unease, of disappointment. A stark, a stark contrast to Red's derailing one. That's not it. Does it really matter? He begs in a breathless voice. Heartbeat erratic where it pulses like a drum against his broken ribs. Soft tissue pressing against splintered bone. You got yourself in some shit, Red. The fog and the smoke envelop the man, and he can barely track him but for his breathing. His heart. His stoic, unperturbed voice. Some bad guys. They hit you in the head pretty bad. I could see part of your brains when I got there. Have no fucking clue how you're alive. Frank's heartbeat changes. Accelerates just for a moment. Snapping his body to life before he sinks back to the controlled ease. Red feels the pull of sutures on the side of his head, the grinding of bone on bone right over his ear, the feel of metal holding them together. Is that why? Why what? I can't see. Is. No. He remembers Ed fading from his sight, the sky a faraway dream, Dad promising it would be okay. I'm blind. The man's chest stutters in a breath before measuring itself once more. And his slip of control, Red sees him clearly. Smoke fades in the face of the Impressionist-like strokes of scent, sound, taste, touch. Can feel the heat as it leaves his body, the bruises blossoming all over his skin, the gunpowder stuck under his nails. Yeah, you are. The fatigue weighs on him, seeps the energy out of his bones like a quiet stream. The oatmeal cools off. Why is everything so loud? Frank sighs. The air leaves him like a prisoner breaking free. Red feels it permeate the air. I don't know how you work, Red. Really don't. Just eat and go back to bed. It'll get better, yeah? A skip. Barely there. Lie. He mumbles. Frank's heartbeat is a war drum. A march of soldiers across no man's land. He sounded almost worried. Family? No. Red only ever knew his dad. Friend? Unlikely. Red's no good at friends. Are you my boyfriend? Frank snorts without humor. Nah, Red, you don't like me very much. Just eat your food. He stands up, footsteps pounding where the fog dampens the fire. The noise rises in his right ear as he eats, spoonful by spoonful of lukewarm oatmeal. He can't keep it in his stomach for long. Concussion. Nothing in the room can go back. The ashes couldn't be paper again. The paper couldn't return to its parental linen rags. Three days earlier. Frank can't find a pulse. He curses. Fingers slide wetly and slips in blood. Presses them deeper into the same spot. The puddle keeps growing. Nothing thrums under his digits. There's no fucking pulse. And he was too goddamn late. He keeps his hand closer to the absence of a heartbeat and hangs his head. Shit. This wasn't supposed to happen. It wasn't supposed to go down like this. He lets go of the cold, progressively colder neck and curses at the sky, gathering the strength to face red. He's still mumbling, lips twitching and moving uselessly, crimson-tinted. His eyes are huge and dazed, as if drugged, eyelashes clumped together with dried blood. He's covered in it, envelops him like a second skin, a sick kind of clothing. He stands up from the wet puddle under his feet. Stains the few parts of grey concrete, ruby, where he steps and crouches by a red, shivering figure. Tries to find the source of the blood, dripping down heavily over the side of his neck, and painting his dislocated shoulder the colour of his old suit. Ah oh, fuck. It's small, can't be wider than three, maybe four inches and a half. But the broken, elevated bone and red skull give way to his brain, hidden amongst tufts of auburn, blood-soaked hair. Frank curses and steps back has to work through his mind on what he knows of head injuries, anything from boot camp to his experiences on the field, files the do apart from the don't and what he's equipped to deal with on his own, goes through the information with single-minded focus as he motions to the side and rips the shirt of a twitching, dying man on the warehouse floor. The bone hadn't pierced the brain and there didn't seem to be any parts pressed inwards, which counted for some measure of relief. He was extra careful moving him even then, supporting his neck, Red was still mumbling, huge eyes blind and lost to the tar-like emptiness surrounding him from all sides. Shit, Red. Work with me. Come on, kid. Work with me. Um, uh, No. Jesus Christ, he's not doing this. He is not going to do this. Not here. No, come on, kid. You don't die here. Frank holds on to a lifeline, attempting to press the cloth to stop the bleeding without disturbing the bone. Shifts his body to wrap a tourniquet around the bullet wound in his thigh The knife slash across his stomach bleeds freely and gets the too thin scrap soaking wet He takes his own jacket off and presses it against it One hand still holding his nape to keep his head off the ground It starts off like a twitch before Red's whole frame seizes Muscles contract and loosen Red's body snaps alive and deteriorates at the same time Castle uses his whole weight to press his chest down to the blood-stained concrete and keep his neck still so he won't hurt himself further. Come on, Red. Hang in there. The gunshot to the thigh, the broken ribs, the dislocated shoulder and the slash to the stomach. Frank can deal with. Shit is way less concerning than the piece of brain he could see in the seizure. Red is alive, pulsing wire in his arms until it seeps off him, like an ill-fitting suit, and he goes limp in Castle's arms. He makes sure to put the shoulder back in place, secures the crimson-tinted wraps around the kid's right thigh and lower stomach, shifts him in his arms to brace his neck as best he can without proper equipment, and holds the cloth to the bleeding wound. The ruby liquid drips on the ground and splatters his combat boots. When Frank gets read up, he checks the unconscious and dead bodies around them. Some mangled to some degree, others beginning to wake up and shook his head. This wasn't his goddamn mess. He gets moving, calculates his next steps. If Frank takes him to the hospital, Red is as good as dead. Whole city would be looking for him when morning came. He sift through the possibilities in his head before finding the only truly viable solution. This day couldn't get any worse. Does he need surgery? I don't know. I... Frank's got no time for this bullshit, much less the kid. He takes one careful, deliberate look around the room before slanting his head towards the bloodied threshold, the dead bodies piled outside. Your bosses are dead, Doc. You only get out of this alive if I let you. Got that? The wiry man couldn't be older than 50, but the severe lines of fear distorted his face, made him look older. Frank studies exits, points lazily. He had them memorized by now. You told me you needed the portable CT. You have it. Does he need surgery? Ma'am, look! I dig bullets out of people! Close up stab wounds! I'm not a neurosurgeon! Frank looks around, stuck between the restlessness and measured composure. He rubs the handle of his colt at the scar in his head, presses the cold metal against the skull until it stings. He wasn't a neurosurgeon, no, but he had good equipment. Everything a mob doctor could need to patch up shitbags, including some things Frank was sure was alien tech. The Italian family Frank had been planning on hitting before this whole mess started had a whole hospital fit in a room so they could keep out of sight, out of record. See, Doc, people say you're the best. If they're wrong, I got no use for you. Frank clasps his hand in front of his body, feels the tackiness of Red's drying blood on his palms, and presses them more viciously together before loosening his muscles by sections. Do you know how to do this or not? The man's lower lip trembled. Muscles caught in the limbo between giving in and giving out. Dark skin shining bright with sweat and the artificial light. His Dura looks intact. Little extrusion of brain matter. I can. Doc sighs shakily. I can make a wound debridement, put the bone back in place with some wire and stitch it together. But if his brain starts bleeding or if there's any internal damage we didn't see, there's nothing I can do. Frank chances a look at the kid, sprawled out on the metal table, still mumbling, awake and still fighting to live with every inch of strength he could gather beneath wax like skin. The house, painted crimson and blood as it was now, stank of death and piss. His eyes meet the docks again. There's no understanding or truce in the gaze, but acknowledgement. They're doing this. Frank has no fucking choice. Get ready, Doc. O five hundred hours sees the sun far from fully setting in the horizon but the cold is already creeping into Frank's bones. He abandoned the van he had stolen from the Italians in a ditch far enough away from the forest so it would keep them from looking, although Frank seriously doubted there was anyone left after the bloodbath he left behind. Wheeling a stretcher through the woods is a challenge on its own, but it's good quality stuff and he makes do, shoving bigger rocks and rotting branches away from their path when necessary, covering his tracks when needed. Red is passed out in between the flimsy see-through sheets, head bandaged neatly with only a few bloody stains seeping through. The tree eventually gives way to his cabin and Kurt's car. He checks the plaque twice, makes sure the numbers are ordered correctly, focusing on details that would give away anything other than the expected. The beehive eating away at his brain settles, if only just as he mulls the numbers over in his head. Details get past him sometimes, spill like water from his grasp, like Red's blood from the fracture in his head, splattering in no distinguishable pattern, thick like overheated jelly over Frank's boots. Can't help looking at the gauze holding Red's head together and feeling the tingle over his own scar, the one Bill left him with. Kurt is draping new sheets over the creaking old bed in the corner when Frank bursts hurriedly through the front door, eyes checking the perimeter, counting the booby traps surrounding them in a backwards order. "'Tree branch, leaf pile,' Can grenade, bamboo whip, tripwire, nail spikes. The room had been scrubbed within an inch of its life, and Frank can't exactly put to words any kind of gratification as he undoes the latches holding Red to the stretcher. He had been up and moving since four in the morning, since the phone call and the warehouse, and finding Red mumbling gibberish with his head open and covered in blood that wasn't only his. Kurt. His voice is thick with gravel and tar-like saliva when it croaks out of him, gotta take a look at that wound. Slow down, Frank. We'll get to that in a sec. He shakes his head, but doesn't protest further. He won't interfere with a corpsman's fucking work. Never had before, and won't start now. The unease trickles to his jumping fingers and settles in the pot of his stomach, like a reassurance. He's left two battlefields, welcoming a third one. Red, Kurt, and him, making sure that Red's brains stayed where they were supposed to. Kurt puts a thermometer in the kid's ear and holds it with one hand while he carefully untangles the end of the gauze with steady fingers. Hold this for me. Frank's already moving, taking hold of the device and leaving Kurt to his work. Had never been this close to the kid without gearing up for a punch, and the wrongness is another poke at the wasp's nest in his head. Did he do it right? The uneven tan of his forearms next to Red's waxy pallor makes him look fragile like China. The surgery. He got it right? The Coors exhales a huff, neither a put-upon sigh nor a simple breath, something trapped in the mingling lines. I'd need a head scan to know that. Wants to say something useless, waiting for the temperature to stop rising and the thermometer to finally shrill out a warning, if only to see if that would get Red to wake up and stop looking like a corpse. Say something like, He's good. Because he's an idiot and a sanctimonious asshole. But Red's good. Can't argue with the truth of it. Does it look right? He doesn't trust a mob doc to have done it right as he trusts Kurt, and he certainly didn't trust one not to give Red's identity in exchange for safety from other gangs. And that's why his body is cooling off with his bosses, back in the Costa family mansion. Doesn't look infected, but it could take a while to set in. The thermometer beeps. Kurt checks it and nods in passing. Not high enough to be a fever, probably from the shock. An open palm is pressed to him, and Frank doesn't ask him what, Just hands curt the improvised head scan the doc had taken after Frank shoved a gun in the back of his head. His face twists in all kinds of complicated expressions before sighing heavily. Was he unconscious after the hit? Was awake when I found him, mumbling shit. Wasn't making much sense. Passed out right after I got him to the doc's table. How long? Two hours, maybe? Isn't sure, even when he says it. The details get lost in between bracing Red sideways on the table and watching the doc put the fractured piece of bone back in place after dosing him with something, wiring it up together, precariously, and pulling the torn-up skin over it, knitting it together in the shape of a crescent right above Red's ear. The surgeon got the place clean, put that piece of bone back in, and closed it. Kurt nods, frowning for a different reason entirely as he works the flashlight back and forth over non-responding eyes. His pupils... He's blind. All right. He took it in stride. Kurt's good at playing civilian, but he's still a soldier. Still trained for the job first. Any and everything else later. Frank can't begrudge him for the sake of his head. Frank himself still found hard to believe the shit red pulled without functional eyes. At least they're even. He mumbles offhandedly, barely parting his lips as the slurred words work through the cracks. The blooming bruises starting under Red's eyes were small, but starting to spread. A mock mask. Frank remembers it vaguely, seeing the same bruising under his own eyes in the mirror back then, when the bullet shattered inside his skull and lodged in the soft tissue of his brain. Kurt stands up from his looming, turning the flashlight off and sighing heavily, his whole frame moving with the weight of it that hangs oppressively in the air between them. Fracture's not the problem, Frank. They mostly heal on their own. Docs call it a compound fracture. Kurt snaps the gloves off his hands, throwing them over to Frank when he offers his palms. He sees it coming, sees how the situation dawns on him. Kurt prepares to fire the big guns, and Frank fights the urge to square himself back against it, keeping his pose neutral. If he has brain damage, though, he could bleed internally, Frank. His brain could start swelling. He could paralyze, stop breathing. If he gets an infection, the chance of saving him, Frank? Jesus! Kurt shakes his head, every motion a forewarn. Risk is already high in a hospital, let alone in the middle of nowhere. What do I gotta do, Kurt? He cuts to the chase, and the ex corpsman is none too happy about it, pressing his lips together in silent disapproval. Frank could almost taste it in the air, and the way he could still taste the sterilized surgical tools, a stench that wouldn't go. For at least six days if you're keeping him here. He exhales, all the contents in his lungs, leaving in a single heave. You gotta sterilize the room. Clean it at least two times a day. His sheets will need to be changed every day. His wound cleaned. The bathroom scrubbed every time you use it. You can't touch him without washing your hands. Can't open the window or you risk letting in dirt and bacteria. Frank rubs a palm over his eyes until the skin around it stings and he moves to pressing his knuckles against his eyeballs, feeling the pressure build up, dark and bright spots dancing at the edges before he lets up. Think I can do it here? Kurt turns to him, eyebrows raised in something that looked like resignation, but Frank wouldn't be all that sure. You have any other choice? It's a fair question. One Frank would have answered truthfully, should have got the chance. He was nothing if not practical. If there was anywhere else he could have safely taken Red to, he would have, in a fucking heartbeat. But there's nowhere, and here they are. Movement stops them both short of continuing the questioning. Twitching fingers sing a prelude to waking muscles and a dragged out, weak groan. Red moves subtly under the thin, stained sheets, left arm fumbling for a grip before he lets go. Frank watches it, taking an involuntary step forward when it twitches again, fingers attempting to hold the fabric before eyes flutter open. What's his name? Kurt's voice brings him out of the brief uncertainty, and Frank's eyebrows furrow down to meet at the bull's eye between them. Matthew. Kurt nods pulls himself a rickety fold-up chair and sits closer to the bed. All right, Matthew, he starts, his voice dropping to that soothing tone Frank had heard one too many times. I'll need you to stay still. You're really hurt. He's dazed still, less so than when Frank found him, but his eyes still won't stop moving around lazily. Every single movement too slow, as if limbs were being weighed down to the mattress. (sighs) Sounds wrong coming off the kid, too vulnerable, lacking a fight. Frank clenches his jaw and works his trigger finger against his upper thigh before taking a step to the side. My response is good. That's a four. Frank's gaze flickers from Red's frame, coming back and forth from Curtis and settling back again. How's that? I need to know his level of concussion. There's a scale the docs use to track that. Might need to check it a few times. It usually gets better, but he could also slip into a coma. Frank frowns at the thought of it. Locks his stare to Red's owlish blinking eyes and lets the severity of the situation wash over him like a wave. Matthew, can you move your left fingers for me? The silence drags viscerally in the wake of it and Frank feels each second like a brand searing into his skin, numbers lining up at the seam of skin over his vertebrae. Matthew, Kurt tries again, can you please move your left fingers for me? Absence of movement, take a space bigger than Frank would have once thought it could. He waits for it. He and Kurt hanging onto the edges as they swell, separate the before from the now and all its meaning. The cabin feels larger, all of the empty spaces consuming the occupied ones. All right, a sigh. Kurt fumbles for the first aid kit and pulls an unopened suture needle from it. The sheets get pulled from Red's blood-stained feet, stainless steel puncturing through dermis. Red's leg jerks away from the pain like a snapped rubber band. Kurt's assessing eyes drag to meet Frank's gaze in doubt. Looks voluntary. That's a five. Not too bad, Matthew. No response. No held tilting. At least not towards Kurt. Red's a blank sheet with nothing but bruises and stitches holding him together. Every inch of him looking wiped clean. Matthew, can you tell me how you're feeling? Mm. Shit. The curse leaves him in a huff of breath. His eyes go up in useless search of something he wasn't quite sure he ever fully believed in. Guy upstairs was either very fond of Red or not at all. "'Matthew, can you tell me your name?' Mm -hmm. "'Nothing more than sounds.' The echo of Red's words over the phone crackle like static around the shell of his ears. The ghost of his speeches and admonishments like a half-forgotten story he heard from someone else. Verbal response is not good. That'd be it, too. Curtis stands up from the chair. Flimsy legs creak and cry with the movement, slanting towards the slightly smaller leg precariously. Gloves get pulled off again thrown to the side. He's got moderate TBI at best, Frank. These kind of injuries either get better or they don't. He could be talking tomorrow and then falling into a coma the day after that, and there's not a damn thing you can do here to stop that from happening. Frank turns his gaze away, locks onto Red's dazed form instead. This guy should be in a hospital, Frank. Jesus Christ. Fingers find a thread to pull before ripping it out in a single tug. Frank interlaces them behind his head, and he steps around Kurt, pacing into the room. There was no doubt before when he dragged Red away from the warehouse and brought him here. There isn't going to be any now. He drops his arms, turns back to his brother. How do I know? Kurt sees it, has known him long enough to know when he's got his mind made up about something. Bleeding, he offers, an exhausted drag of his consonants. From the ears, nose, eyes. Pupils dilated unevenly. Fever seizures, loss of motor function. Frank commits it to memory, like he once committed the names and addresses from the cartel, the Irish, the dogs of hell. Paralysis, fever, seizure, blood, abort mission, find Red a hospital. Any of those happen, I go to the hospital. He turns his eyes up to meet Kurtz. They'll be able to help? Kurtz's shrug is every inch as tired as his voice had been moments before. With any luck, maybe? He turns to sit back down, fingers tracing the rusty edges of the fold-up chair. You mentioned a mob surgeon? Yeah. Was planning on hitting the headquarters a while back. He scratches at his stubbled chin, eyes fixed on the grime stain on the windowpane right by Murdoch's bandaged head. Guy took a portable scan. Ain't sure if it was any good. Jesus, Frank. Words are just that now. Words. No turning back from this, and Kurt knows. Frank's got to do his thing, but that won't stop Kurt from doing his, from trying to knock some sense into him. He'll push, and Frank won't buckle, and Kurt will eventually fold, if only for the time being. He's had head surgery! He should be on a ventilator! Of all the impossible things! A hysterical put-upon breath breaks out of him as he sits down. Frank doesn't offer him anything. It's not the first time he'll disappoint him, and most certainly not the last. Frank will do what he's gotta do, and Kurt knows that, knows him. The taller man shakes his head once more, fingers rubbing at his eyes. I'll take a look at his wounds, make sure they're clean. The ex corpsman dropped his hand from his face, right elbow leaning his weight into his thigh. You sure you can't take this guy to a hospital? There's a serious chance he won't make it, Frank. Unprompted, his mind makes its way back to the bloody two-floor warehouse, the man on the stairs. Yeah. His voice leaves in a wisp, barely there, shredded at the end. He clears the thick feeling bloating around his throat, perched under his Adam's apple. I'm sure. Frank thumbs the edge of the crumpled piece of paper, following Kurt's scrawl with a gunpowdered, blackened index. Dried blood stuck under his short nails. Searches through the shit he raided from the Costas. A bunch of drugs Kurt advised him against using. Some others that come in handy. Paracetamol, broad-spectrum antibiotics, some sedatives should they need them. A whole bag of cleaning products he had scrounged for, and some he had bought. Supplies for his dressings, antibiotic creams and Vaseline, so the bandages won't stick to the sutures. Red's still deep asleep by the time he gets back, Kurt reading one of Frank's books absent-minded in a corner. They'd been checking him from hour to hour, nudging him awake and testing his reflexes, taking his vitals, his temp making sure his pupils were even and there was no bleeding. Frank scrubs the whole place down, makes sure there's plenty of antibacterial soap and hand sanitizer around, especially when he changes the bandages. The sutures over Red's ear were reddish and still swollen, and the dressings come out slightly damp with serious fluid and some bleeding. But Kurt tells him it's normal, and Frank doesn't overthink it. He's got a job. He'll do it. And he damn well trusts Kurt to do his. By the time he's done cleaning, the place doesn't look the same. Something odd creeping through the wooden floors. It's not even about the stench of cleaning products or the lack of dust settling over furniture, but a presence hanging over the space. Red is a stain making itself known. And even small as he is, kid's got one hell of a presence. Doesn't demand attention, but once you see it, it hooks you in and by God it won't let you go. 21 hours later, Red wakes up on his own for the second time. At first, he's twisting the sheets in pale, ghostly hands and making sounds leaden with fatigue. Frank has no idea how he does it. One second, he's pale and slumped in the clean sheets. The next, he's jumping to his feet, swaying precariously over his toes, breath straining and erratic, shallow, panicked puffs of air leaving him as if he was being punched repeatedly over his ribs. Red, calm down. His voice makes him cry out in shock, which surprises Frank in turn heart jumping and body gearing up. Hey, quit it. You gotta lay down. No, no, I have to go. Let me go. I have to. Frank attempts an approach, only for the younger man to jump a step back, knee bobbling underneath him like a spring, caught in the limbo between giving in and holding up. Red, it's Castle. His attempts to appease only serve to incense him more, and Frank can't say he's surprised by that. Let me... I need to... I need to... I have to... Red, you can't move yet! Trembling, almost convulsing fingers close tightly around the hilt of a fire iron. Dazed, panic-blown eyes jumping from one nothing to another. Kurt as a new presence at the threshold when Red unsteadily brings the weaponized tool up to his chest, sweat gathering around his waxy features with the effort of pointing it towards them. If not for the dressings and bruises and overall beaten-down appearance, Red would look every inch the dangerous fighter Frank knew him to be. Where am I? He asks, a quiet choke of a sound. The bandage around his shot left thigh starts pinkening before the color darkens to ruby red and then starts seeping through the gauze. What's... I need to go. His voice wavers again. I need... Let me go! Blood drips on the floor from the ruptured stitches. Can't do that, Red. Who are you? Murdoch interrupts again in a burst of sound, shaky as it was. It still echoed around the four old walls. Frank hands it to him. He's got a lot of fight. Can see the recognition in Kurt, too. Red was barely keeping himself together, but still he stood there, holding that fire iron up and displaying every intention to use it if necessary. It's Frank, Red. He tries to step forward. Frank Castle! Get away from me! The Marine does, palms up to the opposite wall, suspended in the air with all the things he has no idea how to answer. All the questions he'd need to face once. Where's? Where's? Frank sees it happening in those sightless eyes and looks away. Recognition comes and goes, but it always eventually fades. Only serves to allow the question a repetition. Where's? Hey, Red, you got your head hurt pretty bad. A lot of shit's gotta be confusing right now, but you're safe here. No, 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 don't come any closer! Can barely recognize the devil's voice, the way it splinters in fear and disorientation. The shaking only gets harder. His joints seemed to stretch against his skin, limbs jumping away from his torso as if needing to run away. There's something wrong! A sob, broken as anything Frank had ever heard. There's something wrong! I I can't! I can't! Words mingle and turn to mush, consonants getting eaten and mixed into auditory scrawl, slurring the middles and and catching at the end on hitched sobs. Was a wonder that Murdoch still managed to keep standing. The bandage around his leg darkened further into crimson. There's something. Please, please take me home. The distant ringing in his eardrums turns into a hive, the numbness of the swarm's fluttering wings. Take me home, he had said years ago. Had bandage, no wife, no kids. Dead even if he still didn't know it. Take me home, please. Murdoch knees finally give in, and Kurt steps into the room the mid-afternoon sun painting a dream-like haze over them. Red's open sobbing, and Kurt's mumbled comforting words. Please take me home! Frank dodges his gaze to the ceiling and leaves the room. He doesn't know his goddamn name, Kurt! The man sighs dispiritedly in response, and Frank wonders if this is where Kurt will finally stop indulging him. No such luck. You don't know that. Did you see that, huh? Did you see what I just saw? The incense tone barely registers over the ex-Corsman's features, eyes lazily following the movement of the blunt kitchen knife cutting through the apple in his hand. Kurt shakes his head, drops the fruit on the table. It's been barely a day, Frank. He's been beaten half to death, shot at, stabbed, brained. You'd know something about it. What, you think I did it? Deep black eyes search over his face, eyebrows slightly curved upward, betraying the worry Kurt couldn't keep bottled up. When he finally gives in, he does so with a heavy, exhausted exhale. His whole frame moves with it. I think you wouldn't torture someone you think is worth saving, is what I think. Kurt shakes his head once more, eyes pressed closed. Frank's seen it a million times before. Patient runs right out of him, even while Kurt tries to hold it as tightly as he can. Why is he here, Frank? Who is this guy? The question should cut or maim or injure something in him. The way it sounds like a shriek cutting through his eardrums, slicing through them like butter. No such thing happens. He's a man sitting by a window with all his systems geared up for a fight, and nothing left to face but his friend. Have nowhere to send them. That's bullshit, Frank! He wasn't denying it. All I can give you. He shrugs, rolls his shoulders back when he feels a healing cut pull at the edges. Kurt steps back from the conversation at the movement, and so does Castle. Takes the time to observe the other. How he prepared for another approach. How he studied his angles the way Frank would always study a building's layout and exits before stepping inside. Look, I ain't asking why a blind man got hurt the way he did. It sounds like it's exactly what he means to ask. Frank doesn't give him anything. But whoever had him wasn't a fan. He has broken ribs. His lower abdomen is slashed. His left Thigh shot through. His shoulder was clearly dislocated. What do you want, Kurt? What do you want me to say? I want you to tell me you're not neck deep in something too big again, Frank. His exasperated tone turns desperate. The thick lump of worry suffers metamorphosis, hatches out of its chrysalis like hopelessness, resignation. You don't die on me. Not again. He presses his palm against his head, rubs at the tight-shaved hair on top. Shit, Frank. What happens when this guy goes into a coma, huh? What happens then? I'd take him to a hospital. Frank closes his eyes, lets a long exhale flow out of his system. Just gotta postpone that shit show as long as I can. Kurt only stared, dismay a permanent fixture in every pulling, twitching muscle on his face. Frank thinks again about disappointment and bringing Red here, the warehouse and the phone call and the man on the stairs. What have you gotten yourself into, Frank? Got no idea what's going on, Kurt. Not yet. He's nothing if not tenacious and thick-headed. He has a goal in mind. He'll achieve it. No goddamn idea. The lieutenant's eyes find Red's sleeping figure, as if on a whim. The kid was twitching in his sleep, hands moving from time to time. Is he the one neck-deep? It always is. Frank interrupts, pressing his knuckles to the scar over his head. A mirror of Murdoch's. It's always a shitstorm around Red. Kurt is silent for a long moment, long enough that the skin of his palms go numb with the force of his fingernail pressing deep into the meat. You're not responsible for him. Frank remembers the warehouse, the man on the stairs, the pulse, and Red begging, trying to fight with blood dripping from the open wound in his head. The phone call from a day before. Don't hang up. Please. I am, he whispers, turning to Kurt to catch his confused, curious eyes. Saliva goes thick where it pools inside his mouth, before he manages to speak once more. I am. Please, Frank, I need your help. Fall. It isn't safe. To let go, but consider the hover. Choices made, the moment. Between later and too late. Present. Red wakes up with the heavy liquid weight of nausea pooling inside his stomach, Settling so deep, it seems to seep into his bones, and get his skin tingling with sensory overload. He doesn't recognize where it comes from, but it branches out everywhere. He moves to sit up against the headboard and promptly throws up on the floor, cold sweat dripping from his face, hair wet and heavy with it. He coughs, feels his bones rattle inside the cage of his arm muscles, where he tries to keep himself from tumbling over the edge of the bed. The nausea doesn't settle so much as it quietens its roar, the pain making itself prominent in its wake. His lower belly feels torn apart, his left leg shakes violently with the sound of grounded meat. His shoulder hurts, his ribs whistle like an old creaking ship, and his head. A quiet shushing comes from above, a rugged tone that doesn't speak to the whisper-like quality of the sound that reaches Red's ears. A thump-thump, strong enough that it colors the world around him, approaches, hanging just by the edge of his consciousness. Heavy boots echoing the hypnotic, vigorous heartbeat. Minced words and mingled consonants form sounds. They fade and come back in cycles. Easy. Gotta clean those. Take these. Open up. A plastic cup pressed against his lips. The smell of polyethylene and medicine permeates the air like clouds. Red groans, turns his head away. Pain, Red. Red slowly parts his lips and lets the man feed him whatever is in the cup, hidden behind the scent of PET and soap. Recognizes the paracetamol, but not the other pills. They fall cushioned on his parched tongue. A strong hand cradles the curve of his skull, tilts his head back for much-needed water. Drops draw curves over his chin and mirror the ones building up in his eyes, spilling down his face. Too late, Red whispers, skin hot to burning, but he shivers. Promptly stops. Forgets. It's easy to let it go. Let it not matter anymore. The steady, reassuring heartbeat speeds up slightly before going solidly placid. Sound waves paint the unfamiliar room. Please, he whispers. Doesn't know what. He needs something. The man starts walking away. Red lets him go. Consciousness fades eventually, and it doesn't matter. Not anymore. This time, when Red opens his eyes, he recognizes the chirping of the birds, the coarse fabric of the sheets, a reluctant kind of familiarity, like trying to recall the name of something, and it's just out of your reach, but there. The chirping birds and the sheets bring the smells he came to associate vaguely with a barely functional picture of the man he met. Gunpowder, coffee, hand sanitizer, nicotine, cordite. He knew the man. He knew his hands and how they felt in his hair. Helping him drink water— giving him painkillers. And something. Something else. The pounding, ever-present agony on the side of his head turns to solid, ponderous weight. Red suddenly imagines all his brain matter concentrating on one hemisphere of his head, threatening to spill, break free. Still, the agony is locked just behind a layer of fog. A haze that doesn't take it away, but makes it so it doesn't matter. Not really. Red pulls himself up on the bed hissing softly at the bruising pain all over, the feel of coarse sandpaper-like cotton dragging across sensitized skin. His ears ring with a sudden shift of orientation. His head bobs over his neck with the new weight, and the picture of the space around him goes blurry. Cold sweat pools around his collarbones and temples. Nausea strikes again, and he swallows it down. Get to work. He forces himself through it, leaning back heavily against the old creaking headboard digging into his sore back. The wooden floors and walls give way to dirt, fallen autumn leaves and trees. The soil goes deep. Red hears the worms as they crawl around roots and tunnels, the small mice squeaking over food. The roots make sounds as if alive. The trees creak and complain against a particularly strong gust of wind. He's surrounded by a giant, amorphic living body of earth and life, and he can't tell how far it goes. Can't find a way out. Red swallows down the panic brewing deep alongside the need to be sick. Eat something. Sore ribs bang against the headboard when Red startles, right elbow just short of making a dent through the wall. He turns towards it, the slow, careful, gravel-thick voice. His stomach revolts, muscles cramp and loosening in cycles. He feels depleted, heavy with the hollow feeling of hunger, nausea, and pain. And try to keep it down at least for a few hours, yeah? The man grumbles something under his breath, snippets of too damn small and fucking mess. Frank, his head supplies, the man who gave him the painkillers, who told him about his head. How long? His voice snaps like air, throat too dry, leaves his mouth like a hoarse pleading sound. Red clears his throat, tries again. How long have I been here? His fingers tangle with the coarse fabric covering his lap. He isn't sure how long it's been since the last time he woke up. When was it anyway? He remembers crawling to the bathroom and being fed water and thinking about Dad and learning about his head. Gets lost in the voids, widening between one waking moment to the next. He feels sunlight penetrating the window by his side, warming his left cheek. It's soft. Maybe early morning? The wood smells moldy on the outside. The heavy scent of chemicals and cleaning products stained the inside. Except the man, Frank, the voice reminds him. Frank? 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 He repeats it so he won't forget it again. Information seems hard to grasp, and too eager to escape him once he does. The man smells of nicotine, coffee, and wood. Had he been chopping it for the fireplace? Red knew there was one somewhere, the scent of ash swirling along with ammonia, ethylene, alcohol, and sodium hypochloride. Was it winter? Almost. Tilts his head. Hadn't realized he had said it out loud. I'm not in Hell's Kitchen. Hell's Kitchen smelled like... Cigarettes, exhaust smoke, food and spices, wet concrete, the church, Father Lantam, the sisters, Dad, and... Yeah. Frank's voice comes deep and thunderous, but still hanging on the edge of a rasp, almost a whisper. Red decides that he likes the voice, even if he's not entirely sure about the man. You didn't tell me. Five days. Oh. Nodding has been proved to be a bad idea before, so Red decides against it, sticking with a hum. The pain won't let him do much more than hang his head, letting the pressure accumulate at his forehead and temples until it feels like the sutures are about to snap, only so he feels slightly more tethered to earth, to the cabin and the man sitting beside him. A smell, different from the sterile one from back inside the room, makes him shift back. Saffron, potatoes, salt, black pepper, broth. His stomach hurts at the reminder of his hunger. Can I have that, please? The man raises an eyebrow, and before Red can manage to analyze the movement, the warm bull is being pressed against his willing palms. Fumbles with it. His right hand refuses to cooperate as smoothly as his left one. The muscles feel cramped around the elbow and too loose around the wrist. Red tries to force the grip, but it only gets his hand to spasm, and the bull almost falls. He's oddly frozen when it does presses his back hard against the headboard until his shoulder blades are digging painfully in the wood. A big hand penetrates the haze, clears it away. The voice attached to it says something, and it gets lost in the distance. He thinks he mutters a thank you, reaching once more for the food. Where did you go? What did you give me? Red talks over the memory, or what he assumes is a memory, as faded and confusing as all the ones he seems to have. Frank doesn't mention the slip or his pathetic attempts at making his right hand work properly. Painkillers, antibiotics, some anti-seizure drugs. He seems to stop, a hum barely making it out of his throat. Some steroids, too, to help prevent that brainy horse from swelling. Oh. Seems like all he can say, really. If Fred started asking questions, he wouldn't know where to begin, and much less how to stop. The man pauses his own eating, still folded over his food— spoon stopping in midair before he seems to consider something dropping it inside the bowl again remember anything tactical advantage a voice comes from somewhere lost in the haze they seem to deconstruct the longer he thinks about them tactical doesn't make any sense but he runs on instinct what do you mean you damn well know what i mean yes but he also doesn't know if frank is to be trusted A nagging hammering at the back of his fractured head tells him Frank is an enemy until proved otherwise. That Red is in his mercy, and if he wants to get out of whatever the situation is, he needs to play his cards well. But the thought barely lasts. Gets lost, too, like everything else. Dad. He mumbles, and the limbo between the hammering voice and the memories he does have. I remember Dad. Dad who lost more than he won. Who knew how to take a punch. Knew how to get back up. Who taught him manners and... I'm Red, he suddenly says, utterly convinced of his own words, before doubt creeps on his tone. By the way, yeah. Red slants his head slightly to the side, straining his ears for the odd disappointment in the man's voice. He thinks he's heard it before, maybe, but the memory is clouded by the thick smell of leftover adrenaline. You... Do I... He swallows the thick unease back down to his stomach. The adrenaline is high, but the man's muscles are loose. He isn't preparing for an attack. Anxiety? Seems unlikely. What else? Do I... Do I know you? What a stupid question. Why else would the man have him? Who are you? Frank doesn't seem to grab the implicit, to me, lingering at the end of the question. Or maybe just chose to ignore it. I'm the guy who put your head back together. Oh. He frowns. The unease threatens climbing up to his throat again. What? I can't remember what happened. I don't think you can remember shit, Red. That's the point. His muscles seize. Half of his brain begs him to let it go, to not think about it. Tells him it doesn't matter. He's fine this way. But the other, the other sounds like Dad. Get to work, it tells him. And Red is left staring at the gaping void of nothing from the few memories he has between Dad and now. Then I'll just have to try until I do. Red wishes there was more substance behind this statement. But it's all he can muster right then. The man squints at him, maybe studies something in his face that Red will never be able to see. Frank, he has a posture, a way about him, something that maybe if Red could see, he'd spot it easily. It's in the way he talks and how he moves with purpose, and not an inch of doubt. It's how he seems to stare at you, like he can figure you out with one glance. It's how he walks and sits, too, Back tense, shoulders back, ready. For what? You have a lot of guns. Red mumbles, prodding for answers. Hints. Anything at this point. Hmm. Frank nods as if to say, fair enough, and goes back to eating his food. So nonchalantly that Red is surprised when a follow-up comes. And you got a lot of injuries. Remember any of them? Where did you go? Muffled. The voice fades before Red can determine if it belongs to a man or a woman if it's friendly or not. His neck twitches at the discomfort of trying to pin it down to any kind of memory. Pain flares from the sutures to the broken bones and the swelling around the wound. His answer sounds too much like a challenge or an accusation. No, do you? The man's voice rises in volume. He drops the empty bowl on a table Red hasn't noticed before. Gonna ask me to take you home again, Red? What do you? It's barely there. The flashing of something that may or may not be an actual memory. Excruciating pain in his head and leg. Something warm dropping past his thigh and down his knee. Tears on his face. Take me home. Oh. Yeah, you remember where home is, Red? The man says it almost like a taunt, goading him. St. Agnes. He grounds through his teeth, fists clenching around the fabric, feeling it smarts his palms. Frank's body stills. What? St. Agnes, the orphanage, you can take me there. The words spill out of him in a hurry, thoughts jumbling together between what he remembers and what he doesn't, what he knows is there and just cannot reach. Frank leaned his elbows against his thighs, eyes burning and smarting his skin with their intensity. What else do you remember? I was in the orphanage. Where did you go? I thought you were... I liked Midnight Mass, and then I didn't anymore. Come on, Maddie, get to work. A hand comes up to rub at his head, and he hisses at the sudden shocking pain. A groan leaves him. Red is suddenly faint. I'm red, he repeats, afraid that he'll forget that it'll fade and... I'm red. He knows time passes, but he can't remember how much. He was twelve. He hated Midnight Mass. His father is dead. He's been in the orphanage for over a year. Sister Maggie catches him crying in his bed. He tells her it's just a nightmare again, but he's lying. Why is he lying? Helplessness creeps upon him and feeds off of him like a leech. Makes him shudder under the covers. His hands tighten around the bowl and he feels it. The stretch of the raw skin over his knuckles. They're torn apart. Like Dad used to be. He has a gunshot wound. A stab wound, too. Did he meet the same fate as his dad? No, that's not it. Something... The feeling of wrongness and too much slithers underneath his skin, and he's suddenly jumping up, swaying on his heels. Hey, 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 get your ass back down! Frank barks, and Red suddenly does. Doesn't ask why or question his own obedience. I won't stitch up the hole in your leg a third time, and God help you if you fuck up your head again, Red. Red nods, uses the pain it causes him as an anchor and holds on to it for dear life. Let it chain him to the bed the sterile room, and the forgotten half-eaten bowl of broth by his side. Frank is stronger than him, and not half as injured. Red wouldn't stand a chance if he tried fighting him. Stick would say, "'Stick.'" His name gets lost in the haze, just as Frank drops some painkillers in his hand. He lays down, and he's made of nothing but the pounding pain once more, and the voice, distant but there. "'Where did you go? Where did you go?' Frank wakes up to a ruckus, stumbling footsteps in the front door opening. His fingers are closing around a handgun in a matter of seconds, holding it close to his chest as he pushes the covers away from his body, searching for the source. Couldn't have been a common intruder if they weren't caught in any of Frank's traps, so it's either Kurt or someone trained. Or Red. Finds his silhouette against the moonlight, huddled in himself, knees against his chest in an oddly vulnerable position. He had been seeing a lot of that lately. Trapped with all of Red's messes and vulnerabilities in a room where he'd rather never have seen them at all. His shoulders jump subtly from his ragged breathing. Closer to him, he can spot the shell-shocked gaze, the moisture collecting and making rivers on his cheeks. Frank sighs. Should have known something like this was coming. He rubs the gun at the back of his head and clicks the safety on, shoves it in his pants with barely contained aggravation and reluctant understanding, too. He had been a mess when he got shot. He knows this. DON'T TOUCH ME, is what greets him, the moment he attempts to drop a hand over Red's shoulder. His whole body jerks away from Frank with a speed he didn't have hours earlier. Murdoch's whole body shakes before his muscles lock tight with tension, ready to fight. All right, I ain't touching you. He puts his hands up in surrender, waits for his breath to slow down. What happened? Red makes himself smaller, curling into himself. Frank looks away. Nothing. Like hell it was. Yeah, I'm calling bullshit. Murdoch's head tilts and he stops. You're sitting in the dark at three in the morning, bawling your eyes out. Screw you. Yeah, yeah. God damn is he stubborn. And Frank thought it'd change with his brain wiped clean. Spit it out, Red. Not stubborn, he realizes, watching Red's whole frame shiver. Scared. He's fucking scared. Frank takes a step back on instinct, making sure he's not looming over him and freaking him out. His brow furrows down. He had seen him desperate and furious, but scared? Scared was new. Hey, the more I try, I... The sudden thick admission falls short before Red gathers enough strength to speak. It strikes him off, seeing him like that. It's like when I try to get my right arm to obey. The more I try, the more I get... He barks out a humorless laugh, dry and verging on hysterical... <laughs> the more I get swallowed up... He shakes his head, and I... "'I remembered my name. I'm Matt. I know, but... I don't know. It's there and it makes sense, but...' Murdoch suddenly stops, hugs his knees closer to him as if it'll give him any solace. "'I'm Matt,' he repeats, all the pent-up frustration and desperation leaking right off of him. "'Yeah.' His own voice leaves in a whisper. He makes a gesture for the other side of the small stairs of the cabin. "'Can I sit?' Red nods, Eyes lost somewhere in the ground, but curls into himself only a bit more. Frank considers it and files it as a new information, something to think about later. Delimits his own space to the right side so Red knows he's safe in his. I remember Stick, Red mumbles, unprompted, head tilting back up to the starlit sky. Not half as many of them as Frank used to see out there in the desert a lifetime ago. Am I... am I a member of the chaste? Is that how I got hurt? Frank sighs sharply, considers Red for just one second. He already knows his answer. "'Don't think you work for anyone, Red,' he scoffs. "'No way in hell.' Murdoch nods, and although he still volunteers information, Frank notices the change. He's more closed off. Calculating. Learning. Studying. A bit more like the Red he knew. As if on cue? "'You know me well. I don't—' "'Well, you certainly know me better than myself.' Nah, Red, I just... Frank shrugs, palms reaching to hook over his knees, rubbing at the painful scar just over the right one, from his first tour in Iraq. I just know stuff. Don't know a damn thing about you. Just the outside. Red hums, turns his head away. Every movement is a bit slower. Kurt's painkillers don't seem to be doing any good. Do I have... Mm. He turns towards Frank, only to turn back, facing opposite to him. His reproachful tone, not all unfamiliar, do I have family? Frank rocks his head to the side in a considering motion. Not that I know of Murdoch nods, his eyes ducking high and low, reflecting the moonlight poorly on their damaged, glazed over irises. Then not much has changed, I guess you've friends. He blurts out, barely notices himself, and it's happened. Just didn't know how to deal with the kicked fucking puppy look the kid had all over his face. Seem close. Red's eyes don't exactly light up, but his posture changes, slightly. Some considerable tension easing out of his shoulders. No one came for me. There's that tone again. The same from that day on the rooftop, when Frank tied him up to a chimney, held against the bricks. Red had tried the captor bonding bullshit. Tried understanding him, but did it badly. Frank was glad sometimes that he didn't. That he couldn't. So either they're not that close, or they don't know where I am. Frank doesn't offer any kind of answer to that, and Red didn't seem to be expecting one anyway. He sighs, hesitant exhaustion marking all the lines of his face. Frank lets himself wonder for just a moment what Red is thinking about the situation. Does he think Frank is keeping him captive? Is he planning to escape? He isn't sure himself what the hell he's doing. He got the call, and he answered, did what he had to do. How could he not? Please, I need your help! Did you ever meet a blind man? Like me, but older? Like you? Red clams up, then. Frank thinks he hears the clack of his jaw snapping shut. Decides to offer him an out. It's far from dawn, and he's not up for games. Nah, why? My mentor. Muscles tense around his features, eyebrows curling over his eyes. What's the last memory you have? Ask first. He'll gather information and maybe act on it later. Maybe. He was teaching me to defend myself, to fight for the war. Frank's ears buzz and the skin of his hands itch with inaction. Maybe that's why he misses how Red's whole body starts tensing up again, how his fingernails dig into his forearms. Remember how old you were? Eleven. A gulp, I think. Defending from what? Kurt had warned him about the mood swings. Frank would remember, later. But right then, Murdoch's sudden crying takes him completely off guard. A sob punches out of him, drags like it's trying to rip his throat from the inside out before it suddenly settles, tears dripping about as fast as Frank can track them with his eyes. Can... can we please... go inside now? Please, I want to... I need... He's shaking too hard. Frank stands up with a curse, approaching carefully. I'm Matt... He chokes out... (laughs) "'Annette! "'Shit, Red. All right, come on. You're all right. Come on!' Frank takes him inside, locking the door. Murdoch's crying ends just as abruptly as it had started. Tears stop coming, and shuddering breath turns even. He closes his eyes and sleeps. Frank doesn't for a while. Frank hadn't known him for long, but Red was insufferable. He was unrelenting, and he never stopped on coming was convinced that he could help Frank and everyone else in town that he thought needed it and was ready to walk through hell to do it. Frank had almost hoped for it, for the impossible speeches and life-is-sacred bullshit. Hadn't expected the splintered version he gets, the broken shell of Matt Murdock that breaks down crying out of nowhere, that remembers his dad's phrases and sayings by heart but won't remember his own name the next moment. The sixth day has read Waking Up With A Gasp, Frank thinks at first he probably breathed too deep and upset his broken rib, and the other cracked ones. But one look at him, and he drops the breakfast plate by the fold-out table, the clink of porcelain against metal making Murdoch flinch away, back slamming against the wall by the window and narrowly missing his damaged skull. Red? He calls out. The younger man's head snaps towards him. Just me. You good? Doesn't look at. He's sweating, turning around as if he isn't quite sure of where he is. Flashback? Another problem makes itself known, dark red staining the exposed bandages around Murdoch's waist. Frank exhales sharply, attempts approaching only for Red to flinch back once again. No! He blurts out like the words are making itself as his tongue moves, barely present in his own body. No! Stop! All right. Flashback. Gotta be. Frank's seen and had enough of them to know what they look like. Red, I know you don't want me close, but I gotta look at that stab wound. No. No. Another shake of his head. Another more frantic one. No, no, stop! Shaking hands pull all the blankets to him, covering himself from the hips down. He had been only wearing sweatpants, for it was practical when he was too out of it to piss by himself. Stop! Please stop! Okay. Hey, listen. He puts his hands up, only moving to slowly pull the chair he had been using, and sitting carefully. Listen, I'm not doing anything. Can you tell me where you are? No. He shakes his head once again. Little spurts of movement. He's trapped deep inside his head. Stop! Stop! Please! Please! His chest stutters like a warning before breath follows another, too shallow, getting faster. The rhythm escalates, and so does Murdoch's terror. Red, what's my name, huh? You know me. Tell me my name. Come on. No, I don't want... No! Blankets get drawn closer, as much of a security as he manages to build around himself. Yes, you know who I am. Come on, Red. I told you, remember? (sighs) He swallows, shivers slightly before trying again, fingers digging into the sheets. Frank! Frank, your name is Frank! You got it. Tell me about your dad, yeah? What did he do? A dry sob hatches his whole frame before Red shakes his head again. Not in denial, but something else. Sheer confusion, maybe. Trying to work the beehives out of his head. Trying to make sense of what he's got, and there ain't much of it. He was... he was a boxer. Yeah, he any good? A weak laugh, stuttered and barely there. Twenty-four, twenty-one. 21 He does one of his not-quite-a-laugh, dry-sob things, and huddles deeper inside the blanket. Murdochs get hit a lot, but we... we get back up. We always get back up. Yeah, no shit. Kid had been stabbed, shot, and brained, and there he was, freaking out on Frank's cot moving like his skull wasn't currently held together by wire. "'That you do,' he sighs. The blood spreads at Red's bandages in a Rorschach-like picture. "'I need to take a look at the—' "'Don't touch me!' Another flinch. All of the relative ease drains right out of him like a second skin. Frank squints at him, the words stop and don't touch me, rolling around and around in his head, tainting all the corners and conviction, all the shit he thought he knew about. "'Jesus Christ!' He curses under his breath. Red can't remember anything past his twelve, whatever flashback he's trapped in happened during or before that. Stop. Don't touch me. All right. His voice goes softer, and it feels thick in his throat, coagulating at the back of his tongue, but spilling out with the consistency of smoke. All right. I ain't touching you. Ain't gonna come any closer neither. I'll bring the first aid kit. Think you put a stitch there? Murdoch's hands slowly reach for the bloody bandages the shaking subdued if only just, touches it just with his fingertips, jerking away from the texture of the gauze. Frank only catches the slight movement of his head in agreement, because he's looking for it. He nods back and goes to fetch the kit. It seems stitching applies this muscle memory, because Red's got that one intact. He redoes the ruptured suture in barely under a few minutes, finally allowing Frank to come closer to help him dress the wound. His muscles tense and his breathing goes quiet and fast, so Frank doesn't dawdle. Go back to sleep, Red. Matt, the whisper comes from behind him when he turns to put the kid away, almost a caress. My name is Matt. He turns back to Red, watches his slow blinking eyes and the fatigue-weighted shoulders. Yeah. Barely a sound, but he figures Red hears it anyway. He seems to remember it here and there, but some things seem to float away from him, like he just couldn't grasp the memory properly. Frank remembers his kid's laughter and finds the concept is quite familiar to him, too. Why don't you call me Matt? You're red. Frank shrugs, sits back down because apparently they're talking now. It's what I call you. Why? Frank sighs softly, feels the same tired he can see weighing down on the kid's spine, doing the same on him, pulling him back down to earth. You were wearing that color. He slants his head cautiously to the side, considering the sunlight in Red's face and the bandages around his head. The day we met. Murdoch's little smile catches him by surprise. Frank wonders if he could hear it with those ears of his. Are you sure you're not my boyfriend? He can't help a snort, crossing his arms over his chest in an involuntary shift. Yeah, I am, Red. The little turn of his lips falls just slightly, turns somewhat bitter. The thought isn't conceivable. Red and he, broken as they are. But then again, days ago, this, sitting by Red's bedside, making him food and changing his dressings, that wouldn't be exactly believable either. If you're sure. He looks disappointed. It cloaks his whole face. Frank figures he'd be the same if he woke up with barely any memories to account for, trying to find a connection, make sense of something and everything. Get lost in the middle of the confusion, the pain, the noise. Morning. "'Look, Red, I—' He stops, takes a look at his dejected expression once again, his curious doe eyes. "'I know this ain't exactly a walk in the park for you, but you gotta keep going, you hear me? The shit you forgot, shit you remembering, it ain't gonna be easy, and I bet your head's a real messy place right now. But you gotta heal, yeah? And then—' Exhales sharply and fully, lets all the pent-up adrenaline from the days before drain out of him. "'And then we'll figure what comes next.' We? Frank stops, too. Takes a real good look at the redhead in front of him, still partially hidden under the sheets. Remembers the man who believes he was worth fighting for. Worth help, even back then, when they barely knew shit about each other. Yeah. Swallows. Feels his Adam's apple bob. Figures Red deserves the acknowledgement, even if he'd let it go unsaid at any other time. That's right. Red tilts his head as if trying to understand some complicated puzzle he can't make heads or tails of. Faint sunlight turns hazel-green irises into a pool of caramel, and Frank just watches, lets it wash over and past him, and ignores the ridiculous impulse to grasp it, cradle it. Okay. He isn't going to let go, not now, so he waits for Red's permission and cradles a hand just at the back of his neck, promises himself to let go soon after. For a second or two, he just holds him there, an inch from stepping from the edge, enough that his fingers cramp with the force of it, Frank nods, too, and lets all the rest go unsaid. Sometimes, remembering refuses us. Sometimes I'm. A shoreline the water of memory drags its palm across. Poems and excerpts taken from, in order of appearance. Unlocking. Alice B. Fogle. Deep Red. Kevin Killian. The Too Late Poem. Albert Goldbarth. Balance. Alice B. Fogle. Billy Ray, Bell Count. Trigger warnings for this chapter. Mild gore and injury. There are some graphic depictions of head injuries, with exposed brain and bone. Gunshot wounds, knife wounds, and mention of broken bones. Matt is severely injured when Frank finds him. There are also mentions of clandestine surgery. Sexual assault on a minor. There's a brief mention of child abuse and sexual assault. The topic will be talked about in more depth in later works, so if it's a trigger for you, be sure to read the endnotes first so you can avoid it. The mention in this work happens in the third part. Warnings in general for this series. Uh, There is also major character death in this. Like, super major character death. Uh, So if that isn't a thing you can deal with, uh, don't go ahead with this.